This podcast is part of the MyPodcast.com network. Go online right now and get your very own 100% free podcast, MyPodcast.com. Welcome to Kuden, the podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. Hosted by Shidoshi Jeffrey Miller and Black Belt Eric White. Shidoshi Miller is a 12th degree black belt and master instructor of Warrior Concepts International in Sunbury, Pennsylvania. Shidoshi Miller's martial arts career spans over 25 years and has taken him around the world to train with some of the world's best martial arts masters. Eric White has been a student of Shidoshi Miller's for five years and holds a second degree black belt. Together, they will answer your questions, discuss techniques, history, and current issues important to you, the self-defense-minded citizen and the practicing martial artist. Submit your questions by email to warriorc at warrior-concepts-online.com. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Coot, and this is our sixth episode, and we are continuing with some great themes. In this episode, we're going to cover violence in the workplace, plus what color is your belt. We'll talk about rank progression and how rank progression happens at the academy at WCI, and also Kyojitsu Tenkan Ho, the truth about false, I guess you could put it, but that's, like that. that's a mind-boggling subject. And, uh, yeah, we could do a whole, I don't know, seven series <laughs> show on Kyojutsu Tenkan, sure. Just seven? positioning truth and falsehood. You know, it's, um, it's ironic that people do it naturally yeah, um, for their own self-serving reasons. But when we try to have them do it as a strategy, they just can't get their head wrapped around it. It's like a psych out. Yeah. That's pretty much where it, where it ends. Yeah. And how to keep it all straight. How to keep you straight right. in the midst of all that. Yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, in a later episode down the road when we talk about the eight gates and, and the 18 levels of the ninja and stuff like that, we'll talk about uh, Seishin Tekikyoyo, uh, spiritual refinement and being straight yourself. So you're going to have to put these lessons together, so make sure you're not forgetting one as you move on. <laughs> That's right. And uh, we also got some information coming up. We'll have uh, Kuden news on the way, but then it's violence in the workplace coming up on Kuden. With the latest in self-defense and martial arts current events and information from around the world to you. This is Kuden News. In Bujinkan News, a reminder about training on tatami mats while in Japan. Jikatabi are for outside training only. Jika means direct as in on ground. Jikatabi tear up tatami mats so when training inside, use indoor soft-soled tabi, socks, or bare feet. An important message from the Bujinkan Know the saying, the road to hell is paved with good intentions? For example, you can disgrace the Bujinkan, even though you had the opposite intention. Be very careful about this kind of kyojutsu. In WCI News, now the Academy offers the ultimate in traditional Japanese martial arts training with the WCI Uchi Deshi program. This program allows serious students to live and train in-house without all of the day-to-day issues that distract part-time students. As an Uchideshi, you'll train every day in all aspects of ninjutsu. Learn how to be a teacher, and so much more. This program is not for everybody. If you're committed to training as an Uchideshi, contact the Academy today. Special enrollment requirements apply. Shidoshi Miller's 3-disc DVD series Surviving Under Fire is now available. Master defensive combat handgun tactics and techniques. Learn handgun disarms and retention, plus improve speed and accuracy. 
This series has something for everyone, whether you've never fired a gun or you consider yourself an expert. Visit the website or call the Academy today to place your order. Be sure to check out warrior-concepts-online.com often. The website is being restructured to offer more specific information and training opportunities. The new website will feature areas specific to traditional NIMPO training, general self-defense information, corporate workplace self-defense consulting, and more. It will now be even easier to find the information you need. Shinobi no Haru Omatsuri, the annual Spring Ninja Camp, has been rescheduled to May 15th through the 17th. The theme will be Ura and Omote, unlocking the hidden secrets to mastery. Fall Ninja Camp Shinobi no Akio Matsuri is still scheduled for October 2nd through the 4th. The theme for the fall camp is Dragon and Tiger Ninja, exploring the two realms of power and mastery. To reserve your space at one or both camps, call the Academy at area code 570-988-2228. For more details and information on how you can attend one of Shidoshi Miller's seminars, classes, camps, or training adventures, again, visit warrior-concepts-online.com or call 570-988-2228. 2228. And we're back after Kuden News. It is the sixth episode of Kuden, and we've talked about this subject a little bit before, but we're going to go a little bit deeper into it this time. Violence in the workplace, it's becoming more and more uh, apparent to people. Not that it ever went away, I think, but it, because it's made the national news, it's on CNN, it's on Fox News, somebody went in and shot up some coworkers or they're upset. The whole state of the economy has maybe got something to do with well sure i mean stress goes up it's it's a it's a proven fact that when uh, stress goes up or when times are really tough uh there's an increase in violence and, and things like that and i think it's because at least today uh fewer and fewer people have uh coping skills they're not easily able to uh allow things to roll off or uh, they never learn how to do that you know we're learning to memorize a whole bunch of stuff in school to be able to get grades about topics that you know even in school we were smart enough to know that you know, when am i ever going to need this and isn't this something i can just look up so teach me research skills so i can go look up things that i need but uh things like coping skills or you know uh why it's important to balance your checkbook yeah <laughs> those kind of things right basic math uh absolutely and it's not it's this isn't something that's different um but what a lot of industries are waking up to is the is how they have to uh look at this from their own standpoint. And I'm sure there's a lot of people even wondering why we're talking about violence in the workplace on, you know, something where we're talking about martial arts and self-defense, but it is self-defense. And the biggest thing, uh, there's more and more companies developing workplace violence uh, plans and things like that. But when I do my talks, where my focus really is on these defensive tactics, I don't care why somebody's having a bad day. I don't care why they got to this point in their life or made this decision or whatever. What I care about is people staying alive in the mm-hmm. actual thick of things and in most of these uh, plans where some where the company does have a plan in place they're focusing on prevention uh you know the whole lead-in thing where we have a zero tolerance tolerance policy or you know this whole banned weapons on site list kind of thing and yeah uh, there's uh, you know all those things and then at the end they've got disciplinary action uh, uh administrative things reporting procedures and things like that but this missing piece in the middle of what are we going to do What's our action plan? You know, what kind of training have we given our employees, uh, or what kind of training have has the company provided for me to allow me to survive? Uh, should bullets be flying, or you know, knives come out, or even just pushing and shoving? Mm. Um, and you know, a lot of a lot of uh, uh, executives or managers, or uh, I know when I when I uh, 
discussed this with uh, hospital administrators. I mean, workplace violence is huge in the medical sector. Uh, they just didn't call it workplace violence for a long time. They just, you know, considered it to be patient violence or mm. whatever, where, you know, you had somebody acting out. Or in schools, uh, there's this major concern that training people with self-defense is going to create more of a liability problem than not training them at all. You know, if we train people, we're going to increase our our probability of violence. You know, it's the same theory that the gun control advocates have that, you know, the mere presence of a firearm in a room turns a normal, sane individual into a homicidal maniac, right? (laughs) And it's just not true and not even close, right? The truth is, is that when you train people, you cut down on collateral damage. They're less likely to panic, right? They stay calmer under fire. And the side benefit is that uh, these folks on their in their day-to-day lives actually have better coping skills. They're less likely to take offense to certain things. They're less likely to uh, react, uh, you know, adversely to, to certain things, whether they're comments or actions or whatever, because they have a sense of, of confidence that they could take care of themselves, at least on a basic level, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, but it's a, it's a huge thing. I mean, and I mean, look at this year. You know, just in a four, three and a half to four week period, we had three major violent incidences where in two incidences, 13 people died in each one. Yeah. Right? Uh, and the other one was pretty close as well. So, uh, you know, in a four week period, we had more. Uh, attacks by outsiders coming into a place than we normally do in in a quarter, you know, yeah. or or more than that, right? So normally, uh, you know, you, you can look at having about a thousand homicides a year from workplace violence. Mm-hmm. So you know, we got a pretty good jump on things, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, um, and, and there's there's just a whole bunch of myths and fallacies w- with this kind of thing. But uh, yeah, it's 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 pretty big. As a matter of fact, one of the reports that I saw. Um, the, with the latest trends and everything, and not just, you know, a thousand homicides, people are thinking, oh, you know, more people get shot in my city, you know, a yeah. year than that, so what's the big deal? Well, this doesn't count the thousands and thousands of assault, rapes, uh, robberies, all this kind of stuff um, that's actually happening in the workplace to where now, uh, you know, we're seeing that probably your workplace is probably one of the most violent locations you could find yourself. Sure. And... Uh, Less and less people are actually able to handle things. You know, the cops have longer response time. You know that kind of thing. So, absolutely. I mean, people need to be need to understand that uh, wherever human beings interact, you're going to have issues. In our area, I mean, we live in a in a very small area, right? But mm-hmm. um, gang violence is up a lot. I mean, we have gangs in our area now that used to only be in the big cities. So. What that means is that, you know, whether some of these people are trying to reform themselves or whatever, but more and more are ending up in the workplace. Mm. And, you know, that that's a whole other issue where, uh, I mean, companies can have the don't wear your colors here kind of thing to, to abate those kind of problems. But uh, it doesn't make it go away. No. I, I have one client uh, that we're talking uh, to now, now that I'm doing this corporate stuff, that um, they have a meat processing uh, facility, right? Mm. So what that means is that knives are available all <laughs> over the place. Yeah. That's right. So if somebody snaps, you can keep them from keep from bringing guns in the place or clubs or whatever, but the, one of their work instruments 
is a butcher knife. It's <laughs> you know much bigger than uh, can't that, do it with a plastic butter that, knife. <laughs> that's right. You know, so um, absolutely. So there, there's this thing where. The, just the very nature of it. I mean, in a hospital setting, there's so much stuff available that if somebody just grabs it, right, they can go. Uh, my wife is a surgical technician, and, uh, you know, even myself, I always thought, you know, the emergency room, uh, the psych ward, those kind of things, these are high-profile areas in a hospital. Mm-hmm. But uh, she said, yeah, before somebody goes under or they're completely under, I mean, they can have an adverse reaction, and there's a whole tray of really, really, really sharp implements that they can, yeah. you know, uh press into use or just they just you know reach out or lash out or whatever so absolutely and then you have the you know the psychological guys and the counselors and stuff like that that you know they're dealing with people that already came to them with issues you know anger management or whatever and i mean this stuff is happening all the time the average nurse is assaulted one to three times a year right so where are you going the but in in the medical sector uh, they they have their fair share of people who are you know violent and aggressive and you never know when they come into the place but they have a a greater uh, incident ratio with um, people that just don't fit the typical profile for attackers these people are uh, they're responding out of grief or uh, pain Mm -hmm. or uh, adverse interactions with meds Mm. you know that kind of thing so you know the you can't go by the typical profiles yeah. right and schools teachers are having to worry about being attacked by kids and parents and uh, you know these are these are areas where you know for teachers social workers medical people they have some of the lowest incident rates for employee initiated violence but the highest rates for having to deal with it on a regular basis mm-hmm. so um, these are things that definitely need to be looked at so that's why I decided that you know instead of just teaching in the dojo as well, I'm going to branch out and, and help the corporate world because, uh, by and large, most workplace violence consultants that are out there, uh, you know, have a have a human resources or a psychology background or whatever, mm-hmm. and they're really focused on the you know prevention side. And uh, you know, my business card it says when pre- when prevention is not enough. Yeah, you know, I'm all for dissuading and distracting, and we talk about that stuff all the time. But when the rubber meets the road, you know, when that moment arrives. It's too late to get any training, and one of two things is going to happen. You're going to walk out and go home, you know, to people who love you, or you're going to be on the victim's uh, area on the police blotter. Well, I know as you talk about kind of the corporate workplace, uh, I've talked with my father, who's a superintendent of public works. Sure. And as it goes higher up, when you talk about threats from the inside, as it goes higher up the management chain... Mm-hmm. And importance, you become more of a target, absolutely, from people on the inside because you're dealing with having to terminate people and absolutely. and discipline people, and if they don't like it, you become what they're after, and and the other people kind of become victims of circumstance as they try to get to you as the person that made them angry or fired them and made them lose their job, and absolutely, and you know, and and people like to try to you know think about well who would be who would be an attacker or not, right? I mean. Um, we tend to think, uh, you know, computer geeks, they're not going to do it or whatever. And yet there was a high-profile case just a couple of months ago where this guy got fired out in Silicon Valley and requested a meeting with the CEO, the vice president of his area, and his direct supervisor to discuss his termination and to kind of apologize is, is what he what he said. I mean, this is, I'm very uh, – I'm summarizing the, the event. Mm-hmm. Came in, got inside the meeting room and stuff, and shot them all, and they're all dead, right? So, I mean, that's – 
that's a concern, right? Yeah. Um, but you also have people that hold other places accountable. You know, and again, the psychology doesn't concern me. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. I mean, let some other workplace violence consultant, you know, talk about all the research and right. and, and things like that, and that's fine. Prevention's good. Uh, you know, awareness is good. I teach awareness big time. But, um, you know, my question is more. Uh, I'm finishing up an article now uh, called uh, "Look at All the Lucky Companies," mm. right? The guy in Alabama, right? How many places had he been fired from that he could have picked one of them to go into? Um, the guy that um, shot up the immigration office up there in Binghamton, New York, right? Yeah, used to work for you know other companies. He worked for ShopVac and stuff like that, and was like, oh, so I mean. It, you know, so sorry if I'm offending them or whatever, but yeah. they're very lucky that he didn't pick them, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, my question is, is when, when the Alabama thing happened, right? It's a, it's, it was in a town of two thousand, and that was one of the comments made by uh, a political figure down mm-hmm. there, right? I mean, who would think that this would happen in a town of two thousand or whatever? When was the last time you heard it happening in a big city where there's a major security force, and you know they're used to dealing with this kind of stuff all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, my question is: is when did or uh, how many of the people in the nursing home and uh, the thing in Binghamton, right? How many of those thought? You know what? We need to do something now to make sure that doesn't happen to us. Yeah. And then when the thing happened in the nursing home, how many people in the Binghamton facility thought, "Oh man," you know? Sure. The, the truth is that the very nature of violence is randomness. You never know where or when or whatever. You don't know any of these strangers that are walking around you, or you know the capability of even even some of our friends. Yeah. I'm not. I don't mean to make people paranoid, but. The idea is that you never, you're not going to see it coming. You know, the, the, in, in combat, we used to say that um, the bullet that gets you is not the one you heard, right? Sure. Because sound yeah. travels slower than... Right? right. So if you hear the bang, you're okay. <laughs> <laughs> Generally speaking, you're okay, yeah. right? So uh, uh, more and more people are waking up. But what I have found in my discussions with uh, professionals that really are looking for this, I mean, I was surprised at how many companies... Are looking for self-defense uh, information and training for their for their people, but they're running into two major obstacles. Right, one is the people who are aware are running into their administrators or higher ups who think it's going to cause a liability problem. Right, and the other ones, uh, you know, in their research, they'll type this stuff into Google and, and everything, and you know, you get martial artists, you get all kinds of people popping up in their search. And they have no idea where to even start or who to trust. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. you can have a nice-looking website, but is this person really, you know, any good? You have a crappy look, whatever. You know, you could yeah. go by image. Uh, how do you trust this person? Because it's in the business world, it's not like hiring a sales manager. And people need to think about this when it comes to a self-defense instructor anyway, because on my uh, on my website uh, for the subscription form for um, – the newsletter, right? One of the points I make is, have you ever thought about the fact that when you hire somebody to teach you self-defense or martial arts, that you're literally, until you can do this for yourself, you're literally putting your life in their hands. You have to trust them yeah. that they can actually do this stuff. So hopefully what they're what they're saying, what they're conveying, what they're teaching you, that this is going to work, right? So, And that's the problem that these managers are having, right? I mean, this is not like hiring a sales consultant where they come in, they teach your people some stuff and everything, and you try it out for months, and you get the results you get, right? Well, if it doesn't work, you can hire another sales consultant, 
and try it again, right? Yeah. When are you going to find out that this stuff works or doesn't? It'd be too late. It's too late to make yeah. a change, right? Absolutely. So it's the same thing, you know, with our folks that that are individuals. They're not company people or whatever, but you know, they're learning self defense and, and martial arts, right? When are you going to find out? This is not like buying a couch or a, or a car where you can take it back. If it's flawed or something like that, right, or you're making, I don't know, one of my analogies is you're making vegetable soup and you screw it up, right? You can dump everything back in the pot or you can dump the pot and start again, right? When do you do this? When do you start over? Uh, maybe you'll get the chance to start over, but uh, who knows? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, it's, a, it's, a very, it's a very sensitive topic and, uh, you know, a lot of people don't want to look at it, right? But um, the truth of the matter is that workplace violence has become the second leading cause of job-related death, not just in the United States, but worldwide, right? Second leading cause, and it's our second leading cause, and it's the number one cause of job-related death for women and management, Mm. right? So, um, yeah, (laughs) now you have a program in place to deal with not the prevention and all that, but what happens when the the attack is on I mean, absolutely when, when all else has failed and and now it's time to save your own hide that's right. you have a program for that that's right and you know it all starts with an assessment of of the area because you know if we're talking about a hospital right each area has its own thing going on right uh so what's the primary threat there you know what's what's the uh what typically might make it in weapon-wise or, or whatever, like that one company I was talking about where knives are all over the place. They cannot ban knives. Yeah. I mean, you can prevent somebody from bringing one to work, but you're supplying it as a tool yeah. because it's part of the job, right? So the truth of the matter is you can't change that. You can't fix that, right? Um, and the other thing we need to remember, too, is that the more of a controlled area you have the more that policies uh, and procedures disarm employees, the more likely you are to be a target of violence. Okay, The reason why there's a lot of violence in schools, uh, you know, the postal people get a, a bad rap because back in the 70s there were a couple of incidents and things like that. So it's, you know, so we say going postal. That used to be the thing for workplace violence. Workplace violence is now the PC uh, kind yeah. of term, but it used to be going postal, which very few incidents happen there. Um, but, you know, government buildings, schools, hospitals, those kind of places, right? Um, the reason why it happens is the perpetrators know that they're not going to re- run into resistance or too much resistance early on. I mean, why do these people not, if they have a death wish and they're going to pop themselves anyway, why don't they just attack a police station or a, or a military barracks? How often have you heard of a workplace violence incident happening there? Yeah. You don't. Why? Right. You're shot coming in the door. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and they know this. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's the same mindset as a, as a rapist, right? It's not about sex. It's about domination. So they're going to pick a target and they're going to pick victims where, you know, they can make a statement and they can make a statement in a big way, right? It's, it's, it's just terrorism on a smaller scale. Um, at a company I was talking to an HR person about, too, that, you know, maybe it's not the typical weapons you're thinking about, right? There was a processing uh, plant that uh, had a major, major incident, and, you know, um, here somebody had cut one of the gas lines, uh, not like natural gas, but they, they have these different gases for processing and, and yeah. you know, uh, refrigerant and coolant and stuff like that. Yeah, didn't like the... 
didn't like what supervisors had uh, extended in his direction. Mm. So he cut the line and flooded the entire area. Now, luckily, they got everybody out. Wow. But it's it's no different. It's yeah. Know, it doesn't matter what the weapon is. Right. Right. But I mean, we can be talking about pushing, shoving, whatever. And then this stuff extends beyond the workplace as well. So you know, my danger prevention tactics video. We're in the process right now. Uh, we've got it offered on the workplace violence site at wcinternational.com, dot com, mm-hmm. where we're giving basically giving it away to companies who request it, and all they have to do is pay me the shipping. Right. Wow. So yeah, and we're going to do this for a limited time, but we're also taking a look at. Um, at uh, converting this a little bit for um, more specifically for the corporate world, just so they know it's for them. But I mean, you know, there are all these topics. I mean, who's to say that this person, because they don't want to lose their job, you know, there's a no tolerance policy at, on the job. So they'll just do it out in the parking lot or they'll get the person at a bar later, or they'll get, you know, they'll follow them home. Right. Those kind of things. So in that, in that, DVD, there's all these things for handling, right? What if you're out on the road? What if you're in the parking lot? What if you're at home? Those kind of things because, uh, again, you know, we're not talking about just violence in the workplace. We're talking about having a self-defense mindset, right? So where are you going to be when it happens, okay? So it can extend beyond the walls. The website again to to get hooked up with that specifically? WCInternational.com. WCInternational.com. All right. Well, uh, make sure you guys check that out and uh, get more information. You can always check out uh, the, the home site, too, www.warrior-concepts-online.com. If you have questions, the email warriorc at warrior-concepts-online.com. Coming up next, what color is your belt? We're going to talk about rank progression in the martial arts and then specifically at Warrior Concepts and how it's different. So. Okay, if you say so. <laughs> I guess <laughs> that, I'll talk about that. That's coming up next on Kudin. To some, martial arts is a hobby. You learn a few techniques, some history, a word or two in Japanese, put in time and hard work, and bingo, you earn a black belt. But few know how to truly protect themselves from real danger. Ask yourself, what kata helps you escape a burning bus or building? What waza stops a carjacker? Think outside the dojo. Get real solutions to real danger with the DVD Danger Prevention Tactics by self-defense expert Jeffrey Miller. Whether you have no martial arts experience or you're a 10th degree black belt, you will learn ways to spot, avoid, and protect yourself in a number of real situations that are all too common but never trained for in the dojo. Order the DVD Danger Prevention Tactics from Warrior Concepts International. Visit www.warrior-concepts-online.com or call 570-988-2228. Danger Prevention Tactics. Protect yourself like a pro. We're back on this sixth episode of Kudan, and now we're talking about rank progression, what it is to have a belt, what do all the colors of the rainbow have <laughs> to mean, and I think even some have a rainbow color belt, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know. There's there's a myriad of colors. If you go to any martial arts catalog, I mean, you can order up any color belt you want, if it's chartreuse or... Skittles karate. Mauve or... Yeah, Skittles karate, right. They even have camouflage belts. Camo belts. Yeah. There you go. Well, that'd be pretty popular in some parts of the country. Well, you know, in the early 80s when Nijitsu started here in the States and stuff, um, it was really positioned so that... Even on a surface level, visual level, um, 
we looked like we were doing something different. Mm. Okay, now we wear black geese and things like that, so it's harder to differentiate by just looking, you know, watching us move around. And a lot of people in the Bujinkan now, you know, when they look back at those, oh, you know, that was the old school and that was, uh, you know, the good old boy Taijutsu. You guys didn't even wear uniforms or whatever. Well, they missed the point. Mm. The point was that as ninja, if we were going to convey difference. Often you have to start where somebody notices a difference. Otherwise, you know, what if somebody's never done martial arts before? How do they tell the difference between what we're doing strategically, tactically, or whatever, and what somebody else is doing mm-hmm. for sport competition, right? It's very, very different. So we wore camouflage, uh, military BDUs, mm-hmm. or we wore the black uh, SWAT-type things or whatever. And then instead of a, uh, the typical OB uh, martial art belt, we wore the, the uh, military web belts. So you can get white, you can get green, and you can get black. Yeah. And it was just real, real simple, right? So uh, at one point, uh, one of the martial arts suppliers started uh, selling uh, camouflage ninja outfits and all that, right? So... To match that, mm. somebody came out with a camouflage belt, and these things just kind of stuck because I think other people thought they were cool and just ran with it and everything. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's just um, it sounds kind of odd, but you know, if we if we look at this idea and where it went or where it came from, right, uh, we can trace this all the way back to uh, Jitaro Kano, the founder of judo, right, who was a school principal and a teacher. During a time when Japanese students, they went to school to learn, but they weren't really getting any physical fitness kind of stuff going on, right? Mm. These kids are sitting around all the time. So um, uh, he was actually a friend of Takamatsu-sensei right? and a bunch of other martial artists. So what he did was he, when he put this together, he just brought together a whole bunch of non-lethal kind of things, throws and grappling kind of things, right? And he's a teacher. So what kind of progression do we use, right? Yeah. Um, and, and then this Q and Don thing came out of it. Well, the Q and Don thing itself is borrowed from Buddhism um, that they use as a progression for uh, monks and their training, right? So um, that'll get a whole bunch of people to drop out of martial arts because, oh, my God, the belt around their waist is, you know, makes them a Buddhist or something. Oh, God help them. There was a pun, huh? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, you know, but uh, th- there were these progressions put in. Every martial art has their, I don't know, their belts in order or whatever, right? Mm. I mean... Uh, some, it's a progression of the rainbow where, you, you know, it, it just moves through the natural color scheme, white, yellow, orange, red, that kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, ours, uh, in the early days, really focused on this whole uh, Q kind of thing as it came out of Japan where there were nine Q levels, ten if you count the beginner, right, leading up to black belt. And then there were, at that point, ten levels beyond black belt. Now there's 15, but uh, we'll talk about the whole number system after 10 here in a minute but um the q level people were the ones collecting uh the tools and the basic strategies and things like that right and then the black belt people uh you know were working on situational self-defense and, and stuff like that so we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute as well um our system uh kind of borrows the color scheme from the mandala because we work on the personal development stuff too right so uh there's this whole base level study kind of thing that comes from Japan. You know about it, right? This whole Mikyo mind science kind of thing, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But there are these colors that are symbolic of certain qualities that we as human beings have or can work on, right? There's commanding presence and value. There's a... uh, objective scientific mind for the uh, the teacher student kind of personality or mentality there's this expressive artistry or the uh, the uh, this direct commitment kind of thing right there's this whole uh, self sacrifice for the benefit of others or uh, skillful means or action kind of realm right and then there's this enlightenment realm so 
we have these five modules and the colors of the belts match these because it's it's the stuff that the, the student is working on, right? So mm-hmm. um, people still see the progression, but we have this we have something more going on behind the belt system than just oh, it's the next color of my belt, right? Right. And then you know we use these white stripes and black stripes on our belts as well. So, but it, it still has the beginner, intermediate, advanced concept behind it. So in each module, right, the first belt has a white stripe running through it regardless of color, and white normally denotes what? The beginner, right? right? And then there's a solid color belt, so that's intermediate, and then there's that color belt with a black stripe that runs through it, which means advanced, right? And mm-hmm. then that person's going to graduate to the next module, and they just use that system until they get the black belt. Yeah. So, but the progression in the Q levels, or in these colored belts, for us, at least, I can't speak for anybody else's system. I can't even speak for other people in the Bujinkan. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't. I don't even try, right? Um, but the progression for these people, wh- when they're when they're doing this, they need to think about uh, being a student in any other vocation or realm, right? So, I always use the analogy of, uh, analogies of going to school to become a mechanic or to go to art school or something like that, sure. right? So when you go to those schools, you don't start out working on engines. Now, you may you may confuse the fact that you're taking off a carburetor and putting one back on, or you're taking off parts and putting them back on, or you're tearing apart an engine and putting it all back together again as working on an engine. But you're not. You're learning parts, and you're learning tools that match the job. Yeah. Right? You're not diagnosing and fixing an engine. Right. Right? You're learning pieces and parts and how they go together. And that's the same thing that's going on here. If you were in art school, you'd learn about different types of paint, right, whether oil-based or tempera or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you would uh, be working with different types of brushes, uh, thicker, coarse things, right, made out of different materials, right? And then, on, and then painting on different types of surfaces, smooth or canvas or whatever, mm-hmm. to get an idea of how this all, all this stuff goes together, right? So you're building a skill base around the tools yeah, but not around the tactical or the, the strategic application of those things. So we always say that people that are going through the Q levels or these colored belt levels are martial scientists, hmm. not martial artists. Mm-hmm. You're not allowed to say you're a martial artist until you can express yourself in a way that other people would look at it and go, "Wow, where'd you come up with that?" Well, you know, or it almost looks like you're violating the laws of science or whatever. Because, uh, and here's a here's a quick analogy. I had a friend early on in my training. This guy's a, a world-renowned artist. He's a painter mm-hmm. and stuff like that, and he's, he's done lots of artwork for uh, like National Geographic and a bunch of these places, right? And um, he was uh, doing some painting one time, and, uh, you know, I was always, I've gone through art classes and stuff, you know, and I was always taught never to put the spatula against the canvas because you'll cut it, right? So mm-hmm. don't go scraping paint back off that way or whatever. Mm-hmm. There are ways that we were taught, if you make a mistake, do this, do this. But don't get the spatula in there. Don't use the pointy stick end part, right? <laughs> that kind of thing, right? You, the bristles go on the canvas, that kind of thing, right? Yeah. Well, he's painting, and the next thing I know, he's flipping the brush around, and he's etching into the into the paint in the canvas with the stick end, or he's put, <laughs> taking the spatula to it, and I'm, uh, yeah, well, you're not supposed to. He would just shush me. Well, he understood how to violate the rules, and when yeah. to get the results he was looking for because the brush end doesn't give him the same kind of hmm. look or, or effect that he's looking for, right? Mm-hmm. So he gets that. Well, it's the same thing with training. So uh, so we have all these colored belts, right? Regardless of what your system is, we've got these colored belts leading up to 
Shodan, right? And then, you know, everybody, most people know this this Japanese system kind of thing. We have Shodan, Nidan, Sandan, right? So first level, second level, that kind of thing, right? Except that Show, right? You know this. Show as in Shodan doesn't mean first. No. It doesn't mean first level. It means beginner. Yeah. Right? So the idea is, okay, now you have all the tools. Now we can start training. And yet in the West, it's believed that, you know, once you put a black belt around your waist, man, you're a master. Yeah. (laughs) What the hell are you once you're a fifth don, tenth don, fifteenth don, whatever, if you were a master at first? It's no wonder people quit when they get close or they quit as soon as they get it or whatever, Mm. when the implication is, okay, great, now we can start talking about self-defense and those kind of things. All those other things before, just examples. Now we're going to look at controlling a situation. Okay, so showdown, right? So for for someone to get a showdown at our place, it just means that they they understand these skills and they can perform those skills that they learned along the way. And then when they're demonstrating techniques, it's okay with me if they have to force a technique to work or whatever. So we can kind of consider that to be that advanced earth kind of idea where they're in command of the situation. They're using strength to dominate, strength against weak points and things like that, right? But then uh, I've seen so many so many people's systems where they just have an arbitrary list of skills and techniques and kata that somebody has to learn to get the next level, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we just did it differently. We, we focused on what the person's ability should be when they're controlling a situation, right? So if the shodan is just basically dominating the situation by uh, basically by force, they're, they're in command and they're just, if they have to force a technique to work, they're going to do that, right? Yeah. For Nidon, for second degree, for somebody to get that from me, I have to believe that they can use this stuff and this stuff alone to defend themselves against somebody throwing anything they want, mm. right? Any punch, grab, kick, weapon attack, or whatever, they can deal with a, a single person one-on-one by, let's see if this sounds familiar in the martial arts, going with the flow and using the other person's energy and attack against them, right? So mm. they're catching these things. Uh, but it's a responsive thing, so it's advanced water, okay? It's proper use of distancing and angling and all that to control the situation, and then whatever he throws, you can deal with it, right? Sandan, um, and I would say that anybody can get anybody can get a secondary black belt who's willing to work at it mm-hmm. and do what they need to do to get it, okay? After that, all bets are off. So for third degree, the person has to look beyond technique to where they're able to control the perception of the other person to get that person to throw just the kind of attack that they want. Okay, so they're controlling distancing and angling and all that before the attack is even launched. So the attacker believes they have free will, but they've long long since lost it. Mm-hmm. Okay, And then there's this direct committed action once, once something happens. But for third degree, my people are also responsible for being able to escape any lock, hold, or throw that somebody can put on them even if it's a really good one, to where you're willing to break your own joint to free yourself and then get the person. Mm. Okay? So the theme for third Don is, what is it? The eye of the tiger, right? right. And to me, that's this this look that says you are you can't possibly be willing to go as far as I am. So that does two things. One, I don't fight unless... I'm willing to give up everything I hold precious if I lose. I don't put anything out there I'm willing to give up for the rest of my life. I don't uh, engage in fighting because, well, you know, you can always make up later, that kind of thing. It's a burning bridges kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So um, because of the kind of damage, we're talking about fighting. Way too many people 
fight because they just need to have their own way. And you end up doing a lot of damage when that kind of thing happens, right? So there's this concept of you can't possibly be willing to go as far as I am. And the other thing is that um, I think I just lost the other thing. <laughs> um, but uh, well, maybe I touched on it. This, this concept of, of uh, fighting for a warrior is it's the last ditch effort to restore peace. Mm. Right. So um, it's not for trophies. It's not for bragging rights. It's not for whatever. Uh, I just I, I have to bring this up. I just saw this on a UFC thing the other day. I mean, it used to only be on pay per view, and now it's like you know, turn on Spike anytime at night, and yeah. you, know, you got a UFC thing going on. Right? Yeah. Um, I was talking to uh, one of the other instructors at, at the school the day after this happened because I was still trying to get my head wrapped around this guy's logic. And, you know, we ask students, what's the difference between a fighter, a soldier, and a warrior, right? Right. And, and they have to come up with this. And this really became evident. Here's this person that won a fight, right? And, you know, they were asking him about his strategy and all that. Well, the whole thing was over, and he said, can I say one more thing? Sure, you know, uh -oh. you can say one more thing, yeah. <laughs> so he looks out into the audience, and you never see the face of the person, but he, he yells out this person's name, Right. Uh -huh. And instead of saying, dude, I want your title or, you know, whatever, you know, this typical macho bravado yeah. kind of thing going on. He says, I just met you. We become the best of friends. I love you like a brother, man. I do anything for you. Anytime you want to fight, man, I'll fight you. <laughs> what? <laughs> love, brotherhood. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, if you love me just as much. Yeah, I'll, I'll join you in the ring anytime so we can knock a couple hundred thousand bile cells out of each other's brain and uh, see how that works for us. Yeah, right? right. And I'm thinking, wow, there you go, okay? Just met you, love you like a brother, and uh, yeah, man, I'm willing to beat on you if you want to beat on me too. So we'll see who's the better man. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, so there's this, there's this twisted sense of, you know, uh, fire kind of thing, right? Yeah. And then um, fourth done is this whole wind uh, evasive, uh, but more efficiency of movement and skillful means. So if you can imagine taking that whole third degree, uh, manipulating this guy's um, perceptions, right? At fourth degree, what we're really looking for is somebody who understands where the eye of the storm is mm. in a fight to where... Um, you can slip into this position where he cannot get you well, but he can't get get away from you either. So uh, he's almost trapped in it. And the concept is that when what no matter what he tries to do to you, it backfires and hurts him instead. Mm -hmm. So we've got these uh, throw counters and all that kind of stuff. There's throw counters at second down. There's throw counters at, at sand down and things like that. But the way you're doing it and your approach to it is different. At fourth down just at the right moment when his throw would be engaging you and breaking your balance, a, a slight shift sends him flying instead, right? So um, it's very, very different, right? Mm. Um, and much more in third degree, fourth degree, that kind of thing, much more in the way of multiple attacker scenarios. At third degree, you're controlling these attackers so that they're in each other's way. At fourth degree, you are literally overwhelmed and surrounded, and your job is to be a ninja, create an opening, and get out of there not take on these things. And, you know, if we see the typical martial arts movie, right, you got a guy surrounded by six attackers, and the, the average person thinks, okay, he's dealing with six attackers. He's dealing with this multiple attackers scenario. But he isn't. If you watch the, watch the, the choreography, he's being attacked by one person six times. 
Mm-hmm. Right? They come in, one comes <laughs> in, he beats them turn. up, one comes in. They all wait their turn, <laughs> right? When the reality is, is if you start winning or no matter what, as soon as one of these other guys finds an opening while you're dealing with their friend, they're going to come in and just jack you. And it's just very, very different, right? So there's the reality. Fifth on, you know, none of us should Oshi or Shihan promote to fifth. That's, that's Soke's thing at this point anyway. Uh, but the fifth on test is about that whole, reaching in and, and touching uh, part of reality that most human beings don't get. It's that instinct and, and perception of danger and, and things like that. So um, I normally sum up fifth Don as um, you know what he's going to do before he does it, so you have a choice. You can either wait him out so that you can just stop it when it happens, or just as, just as he's about to do what he planned on doing, you shift position. So he's always in a reset mode. And he can't quite make it happen. But at fifth on, you're also supposed to be able to defend against somebody who does a sneak attack. So if somebody's coming up to, you know, stab you in the back or whatever, and they're jumping you from behind. And there's that uh, precognition or that perception of danger uh, that's happening. So and I'm going to cut it off there because after that, it's very, very di- difficult to describe what I'm looking for mm. for somebody between sixth and tenth don or whatever, right? And the Bujinkan used to have just these ten dons, right? And then we had ended up with a bunch of tenth dons, so I guess we we added some more. And I remember when it happened. Um, but Soke specifically said, and today he uses the number things because so many Western Westerners call you know the second level after tenth twelfth, right, or the fifth level fifteenth or whatever. But these things are not named eleventh don, twelfth don, thirteenth don, right? They're named Judan, which is tenth don, right? Chi Menkyo. Earth transmission, Sui Menkyo, right? Water transmission. I'm a Sui, Judan Sui Menkyo, right? A lot of people would say 12th Don, and I, often I'll put that in the website or whatever just so people can figure out where it is yeah. because they have no clue. A lot of people in the Bujinkan today, because of when they started, have no clue about this historical kind of thing as it moves along. I, did I ever tell you that I was once um, threatened with a lawsuit by some yahoo <laughs> in yeah. the Midwest or whatever, yeah, that. sends me an email, You know, went to my website and stuff, threatened to sue me because I couldn't possibly be a member of the Bujinkan because if I was, as an 11th Don or whatever I was at that point, right, I would know that the term is a Shihan and not a Shidoshi. <laughs> well, I was having a bad day that day. Uh-huh. I dealt with a couple of emails from Wingnuts, and this one was just over the top. So I sent him a little email of my own. And, you know, one was, you're going to sue me over what? It's not proprietary information for you or whatever, but let me give you a little historical lesson. And I did. I proceeded to tell him about how, you know, back in the in the late 80s and stuff, right, there were all these Shidoshi and things, and how some of the Japanese Shidoshi started calling one, who's no longer the Bujinkan, so uh, his name shall remain nameless. He who we shall not name. Right? It's kind of like a Voldemort thing, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> but anyway, um, they started calling him Shihan, right? He was actually, you know, the senior-ranking Shidoshi of all these guys and stuff. So they started calling him Shihan. And the kanji for Shihan, uh, it's normally translated as master, master teacher or something like that. But if you look at the kanji used to write Shihan, they mean role model. So can you imagine calling yourself Shihan uh, White, right? Uh, what you're really saying is, hi, I'm role model White. Yeah. <laughs> what? <Whoa. laughs> hi, I'm Master Teacher White, whatever, right? Right. Um, so anyway, so what they what they did was the same thing they always do, right, is they looked around and went, oh, okay, right, this guy's like 8th Don, ninth Don. Okay, so like at 8th Don, right, you're not a Shidoshi anymore, you're a Shihan, right? Mm. <laughs> well, maybe, okay? Right. But Shihan is a term that's an honorific 
used by certain people to disguise to describe somebody else yeah you don't call yourself Sheon, right so what i told him was on my wall i have a teaching certificate that is a shidoshi teaching certificate i am a shidoshi in the bujinkan other people may call me Sheehan, but i don't never have and never will have a certificate that says Sheehan, unless sensei comes out with one right yeah because it's not a rank. Yeah. It's an honorific title, right? So um, people get all caught up in this rank thing. And what we're, what we're concerned about at Warrior Concepts is skill progression and ability to produce results in the world. And that's what the belts are for. And as a matter of fact, at our school, belts tell the teacher what level you're at so they know how to describe a technique to you, not the other way around. Oh, here's a reward for doing good. I might as well bring in a box of dog biscuits, you know, and toss you something or, you know, play SeaWorld and, you yeah. know, do a trick for me. Here you go. Oh, there's a fish, <laughs> right? Uh, it's just, it's amazing how people get wrapped around the very thing that's as far away from what they should be focused on as possible, mm. you know? And, and they, you know, everybody regurgitates sensei says, you know, right. rank doesn't matter or whatever, except, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but... Your actions speak so loudly, I can't hear your words anymore. Mm. You know, it's just one of those things. So, absolutely. Hopefully that clarifies the way rank progression works within WCI and the Bujinkan and how it might differ from some other martial arts uh, that you may have seen or, or even participated in. If you want to find out more, definitely send an email with your questions, warriorc at warrior-concepts-online.com. Coming up next, Kyojutsu Tenkanho, the truth about false. I don't understand. Sure. <laughs> yeah, let's let's go with that. That's next on Kuden. What is the karate myth? Find out why most martial arts programs fail their students when they need it most. Get the most hard-hitting manual on the subject of self-protection. The Karate Myth by self-defense expert Jeffrey Miller. Learn how a fight really works and what experience is needed to survive a brutal assault. Learn how to ensure your safety in a violent world. Get the ebook, The Karate Myth by Jeffrey Miller today with additional bonus materials by logging on to www.warrior-concepts-online.com or call 570-988-2228. The Karate Myth, the truth about self-defense. All right, we're back with our last segment of Kuden for this sixth episode of the show, talking about Kyojitsu Tenkan Ho, the truth about false. I, I, I don't know what else yeah, to Well, let's do a literal <laughs> translation here. Yeah, Ho is way or, or uh, uh, method, that kind mm -hmm. of thing, right? Uh, Kyojitsu is truth. Okay. okay? Uh, the concept of truth, right? Tenkan is uh, something that means the juxtapositioning of or the interchange of. Mm. So what we're talking about here is the juxtapositioning or the interchange of truth and falsehood. Mm. So what does that mean? Did that help you out at all? No? <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, regardless of what you think of Stephen Hayes or, or you know anything like that, in his first book that he wrote on Ninjutsu, mm -hmm. uh, it was called, um, uh, what was it called? Uh, the Ninja and Their Secret Fighting Art. Okay. Mm. And he describes his first... Uh, meeting with Hatsumi Sensei and um, another uh, Shidoshi at that time. Uh, they met at uh, this little inn where he was staying and right, had a little discussion. And they did a little demonstration, right, where he was trying to describe this this thing, right? Yeah. And um, <clears throat> so uh, uh, Soke has this Shidoshi 
demonstrate this little technique on Mr. Hayes, and who'd been you know a martial arts teacher for a long time. And he said, uh, you know, oh, did you feel that? And uh, what Mr. Hayes perceived was almost like a, you know, he was going to hit me. I braced for the hit, and then he didn't, and then he hit me, yeah. kind of thing, right? And he said, oh yeah, yeah, we call that a psych out. And Soke made a face and said, uh, no, 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 you really didn't feel it. So I told the Shidoshi, do it a little harder, right? And knocked the wind out of him, <laughs> bounced off a wall and kind of felt like a sack of potatoes on the floor and all that and, um, kind of thing. But it was, it was something really odd or something very different for the conventional martial artist who was all about physical tactics and, I don't know, trickery, I guess, you know, okay. uh, psyching somebody out kind of thing, uh, you know, doing a little distraction over here so you could hit him with this thing over here. Um, that was pretty much the extent of, of strategic application of techniques. Uh-huh. And it's not that that's not Kyojutsu Tenkan, right? You throw a distraction over here so you can hit him with this thing over here. Um, but that's kind of a starting level, right? Um well, here's an example. We'll do this by example because it's, okay. it's very different, right? Um, kids and kids at Tenkan, especially in the Gyokoryu, right? People really need to look at their techniques. Okay, if you want to understand Kyojutsu uh, Tenkan Ho, all you have to do is look at the at the, at the Gyokoryu's techniques because every technique is based on Kyojutsu Tenkan, mm. every single one of them, right? So what what that means is that you are convincing your opponent. That one thing is true when really you're doing something completely different. Okay? So if you're practicing strikes, you know, use a mirror and take a look at how, uh, you know, I don't know, throw a, throw a hook or throw, throw a punch or whatever and see if you can find that point where you're throwing a punch, but you can actually turn it into a kick without signaling that you pulled the punch and you turned it into a kick, mm. okay? Or watch when you kick to see if there's any telltale signs like your shoulder dips or whatever, right? So you can actually lead into what might look like the beginning of a kick and your body shifts into this position, but from there you could actually throw something different. Mm. Okay, so anyway, here's an here's an analogy. Let's say that um, I'm using my kamai, which should be my primary strategic base, right, Mm -hmm. to maneuver around while somebody's trying to hit me, grab me, kick me, whatever, okay? So I'm using this, but I'm not just waiting for them to attack with something. I'm being a real ninja, and I'm gathering information about this person and how they move and what their their favorite kind of position is and what what they're probably intending to do. Okay, people who are boxers or punchers tend to move a certain way, right? Hook punchers tend to have their hands, shoulders, and elbows in a certain position, right? Boxers have a slightly, slightly interned toe, typically, right? Uh, wrestlers tend to move a certain way. Even these mixed martial arts guys, right? You, if, if you're, if you know what to look for, you can tell where they've learned some striking and kicking skills because they needed them. Mm-hmm. But this person can't wait until he can shoot in there and try to go for a submission or something like that, right? Where a puncher, kicker, that kind of thing, they're they're holding their body in a very specific way, okay, because it's best suited for that thing that they're trying to do, okay? So part of our training for advanced training is, is n- and it's not n- not training our skills, but it's to start paying attention to what other people are doing. Stop spending your time 
knocking other people's fighting styles or or whatever and take a look at what they're doing because you know what you're more likely to have to defend against one of those guys than somebody in the Bujinkan or somebody doing ninjutsu or whatever yeah. okay and you know, why do you think Hatsumi Sensei is able to say the reason why this is a problem for these people over here is fill in the blank, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, this strategy or, or thing that they use a lot in competitions, you know, doesn't work, you know, because of this thing uh, that really goes on in a fight. And he talks about this stuff. But it comes from, you know, research, not not starting out with the, the belief because somebody told you that this martial art or that martial art or whatever sucks, right? We're better than them. Well, egotistically, we all think that we're better or whatever we do is better because, well, that's what we do. Yeah. And ego won't allow us to be wrong, so right. we justify absolutely everything we do because, well, because that's what we do, right? If somebody else does something different, then they're wrong. If they do the same thing we do, well, then they're right, right? It's not because they're right or wrong. It's because we are yeah. to us, right? right? So, But it starts here where you start to do some research as to what other people do, right? So if I'm moving around in my come line, I'm watching this person set up, and I start to get the signals that this guy is maybe a conventional karate-type person where they rely heavily on block-punch kind of rhythm, right? And they're a blocker, okay? What I may choose to do is initiate an attack that looks like a high overhand hammer fist kind of thing where I'm going to come down onto their face, you know, with this uh, hammering kind of action, right? And... At the moment that their forearm comes up to block my arm to save their face, I drop my elbow a little bit and allow my hand to pop open into a knife hand or a shito, right? And I break their forearm, okay? Sounds like a cool technique. But where's the Kyujutsu Tenkan? The Kyujutsu Tenkan is I was aiming or my intention was to break their forearm when I threw the strike. What I did was I threw a strike that would make them throw a block mm. so the form would be there. They can't defend against my technique because the target I'm going after isn't even in the ballpark yet, <laughs> but it will be when I get where I'm going. Wow. So I throw something that causes them to do exactly what I want so that the target, the real target I want is there when I get there, and all I need to do is turn this to turn this strike from one thing to another is to adjust my elbow so it shortens the arc and snap the hand open at the right time, and the true technique is there Mm. right so people often say well how did you know that was going to be there because i pay attention to more than just the step-by-step kata of the training and i understand that when somebody punches kicks blocks or whatever there's a start position a transition position and an end position so my technique works because i know where they will be when they get where they're going and i meet them there and what i do from point a to point b doesn't look like i'm going there I don't have to show them what I'm doing. I only have to be there to meet them. Mm. Okay? Kind of like my friend flying in from Cincinnati by plane, right? And I'm going to pick him up at the Harrisburg Airport. I don't have to fly into the Harrisburg Airport by plane because my friend is. I only have to meet him at the airport. So it doesn't matter if I walk, bike, or, or drive. Mm-hmm. I'm meeting him at the Harrisburg Airport. Okay? I don't need to be on the plane from Cincinnati to, airport, to, to Harrisburg with him. Right? Yeah. You get this idea, right? Yeah. So it's the same thing. If I'm in a, in a, in a grappling position... 
or a grappling situation with somebody, um, do you really think that, you know, with a lot of these base level techniques, and this is where a lot of colored belt people um, go astray or um, or even black belts can't get out of this, what I call beginner mind, where they're still thinking like a Q-level student. I know we talked about belts before, but let's think about this. These Q-level people are learning techniques, right? But what they're really learning is how to enter a technique, how to mechanically apply it, and dynamically what it's doing as it breaks somebody's balance or timing or that kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. But it's an artificial scenario, okay? If you really think that a bad guy who wants to hurt you is going to let you just snap a technique on him, you're delusional. Because as soon as you start to move, he's going to start saving that body part that you're trying to punch, kick, grab, lock down, or whatever. It's natural physiological response. Yeah, Whether he knows you're doing it or not, as soon as the pain response starts getting invoked, subconsciously and unconsciously, the body's autonomic nervous system starts pulling those targets away. Mm. Yeah, So how do I ever get a Gonseki on somebody if my attempt to go for his arm causes him to lock down in a real situation? Not in the dojo where everybody's just having a good time and we're all just this one big mutual admiration society. Oh, wasn't that cool, man? Do that to me again. (laughs) Right? Try having somebody who wants to beat, break, or kill you on you, like I've had and like a bunch of people in the Bujinkan, regardless of their their rank, but we've been there, Mm -hmm. right? Or in any martial art, right? This is These people, they may not be able to to do every technique you know or know all the kata and all the scrolls or whatever. They may not be able to tell you what techniques you should be training with, but based on their experience, based on my experience, they can tell you how you better be training if you're going to survive against that person who uh, doesn't punch correctly, doesn't grab correctly, or all these other things that we talk about, people who don't do our martial art, right? They don't mm-hmm. do it right. Okay. Well, you know what? That not right punch hurts like hell, right? Will knock you out, break you, or whatever. So, uh, Sam, in this grappling position, I want to go for this Gonseki, right? Instead of initiating with the move to go for the arm, like the basic model teaches, what if as I rock forward? Across my lead knee to start to enter, I actually apply apply pressure to the other to the other arm instead. Mm-hmm. So, what's his first assumption? His first assumption is I'm attacking that spot. So, as he goes to save that, that in and of itself, his consciousness is on that arm. It's on that motion. He thinks he's picking up on my technique, right? And that in and of itself, of itself clouds his mind and clouds his judgment and acts as a smoke screen to allow me to enter. So by the time he comes back to where I am, I'm already in position mm. and the technique is on. Okay? So call, I guess you could call it, you know, psyching him out or tricking or whatever. But I'm not doing a, a, a infantile little, you know, look it over here so I can hit over here kind of thing, right? Uh, and Kyujutsu Tenkan goes much, much farther than that, okay? Um but if you can just get your head wrapped around the idea that it's presenting a reality to somebody that they will buy into mm-hmm. so that they're tied up chasing that and you're free to do what you want. So that leaves that leaves fight behind, right? This goes out into all other areas of your life. Okay? So but this also requires that you study yourself, you study human nature. And those kind of things, right? Different personality types. Because the same trick won't work on everybody. You have to understand that person's personality type. You have to understand their wants, their needs, their desires. Not theirs specifically, but what that, what, how and what that type of personality is like. 
okay? How they make decisions, what they want, what they need, okay? So that you can present a reality that to them is true. Mm -hmm. It's perfectly okay. What do you say to the person that's maybe listening to this right now going, well, that sounds kind of like weaselly or just the negative connotations kind of pop up. Well, that's very manipulative and... Yeah. Uh, Some people are, I'm thinking, are listening to this right now going, well, gee, that's really kind of like fighting dirty and, and, and that's kind of you ever hear not the, right. You ever you know? hear The Art of War by Sun Tzu? Mm-hmm. Hmm. There's a chapter on deception. The quote is, politics and warfare can't exist without it. Mm. You can't win in politics or in warfare without deception. Right. Okay, if you always try to meet head-on, the law of nature says the bigger, faster, stronger, more skilled, better armed, or whatever assailant wins. Yeah. Ninjutsu was designed so that the underdog could prevail. And that means you have to use everything at your disposal to make that happen. I use Kyujutsu-Tenkan when I teach my students. Okay? So at some point, you know, they wake up and they go... You've been using that on me. Yes, I have. Okay? I'm not going to lie to you. But doesn't that mean you lied to me? I don't know. Here's a moral here's a moral dilemma for you. If I tell you something that to you is true, yeah. in your world and reality is true, but I know it's not mm-hmm. because I have a different perspective or expanded view on things, Okay, am I lying? No. The answer is yes and no. Ultimately, yes. Because I told you something that I know is not true. Right. But I used it as an as an expedient or a skillful means to get you to move forward. Mm-hmm. Okay, so is this deceptive and manipulative? I don't know. It depends on how you think of deception and manipulation. Okay, mom and dad deceived us and manipulated us too by by getting us to be good because Santa wouldn't come if we weren't, or the Easter Bunny wouldn't come as we want. And yet, for a lot of us, we wouldn't have a sense of imagination if we didn't believe in Santa Claus or, or the Easter Bunny for a while. Sure. Okay, so. Was it a good thing or a bad thing? It depends on the intention behind it, not the action itself, right? Yeah. So uh, am I deceiving my students? Of course. But I also know that, especially my beginner students, when they come to the martial arts, they expect certain things and they have certain needs and desires and wants and, and whatever, right? So what I have a need for is for them to really get what they need so that they can survive in a violent situation, but they have certain beliefs about the martial arts and training and fights and all that that could be way, way off. Mm-hmm. So what I have to do is balance giving them what they want or what they think they want, making it look like that, right, with what they need. And I'm willing to hold off what I think they need long enough for them to catch up to get that mindset Mm-hmm. Because if I if I just throw something at people and they go away, well, you know what? I may feel pretty freaking good about myself because, well, you know what? They weren't strong enough to stick it out. Screw them. Yeah. Right? Except that as a teacher, I know I don't. I, I I've lost the chance to help this person forever, and mm-hmm. they're now left at the whim of the world and their own volition to hopefully find another teacher that knows what they're talking about. Mm. Right. But out of my own egotistical pride. I decided that if they can't figure out what I'm trying to teach and they won't do it my way from day one, then they're not worthy. 
Well, we're back to ego again, right? So, uh, no, kids tank on. Absolutely. Present them with something that will allow them to move on. Or if we're in a violent situation, it's not helping them. It needs to help me. So it is what you need it to be. It's just a tool. It's not right or wrong, good or bad or anything else. You know, just like the moral question, if mom and dad were right that nice people don't hit and we're not supposed to hit other people, why are we training in the martial arts or learning self-defense? <laughs> yeah. Uh, might have to save our life. Right. So guess what? The mature lesson is nice people don't hit other nice people not trying to kill you yeah. or hurt you. It has nothing to do with not hitting. It has to do with not hitting out of anger, not hitting, you know, for the... So it's it's no different, Okay. The mature mind sees this as a tool that can be used in either direction. And if you've developed into the right kind of person, you're not going to abuse it or misuse it. You're going to use it when it's in everybody's best interest. Okay? Even if that means it's the, in the attacker's best interest that you use it as well, too. Because, um, you know, as a warrior, my job is to shut this guy down so he can't hurt me or anybody else. But if I won't use a tactic or technique like this because I have a moral or ethical problem with it because, ooh, you know, I always have to fight fair and, and all those kind of things, then when this guy kicks my ass or worse and goes on to do more damage in the rest of the world when all it would have taken was for me to open myself up to something like this, mm-hmm. then you know what? That's universal justice. Yeah. Okay? Victim mentality, survival mentality, pick one, mm. right? But we're not out there being con men, but we can borrow psychological manipulation or psychological tactics because we're going to be running into people where we're not going to be physically big enough, strong enough, or whatever. If this guy gets the first shot on me or grabs a hold of me, I am done. So we need to take this into a different realm. So we can take it into the psychological realm. We can take it into the emotional realm, the spiritual realm, wherever we're strong and he's weak. Again, going back to Sun Tzu, using strong points against weak points. You don't throw your weak points at his strong points hoping that if you just do it the right way, somehow you won't die. No, you find where you're strong and he's weak and you meet him there. Mm-hmm. Make him fight by your rules. Don't try to fight by his. Mm-hmm. It's very different. Kind of like the UFC guys who are punchers and kickers and they try to grapple a ground fighter <laughs> who's been doing it all of his life. Well, yeah. That was stupid. Yeah. But, yeah, it's it's the same thing. As a matter of fact, speaking of the UFC, I'm going to finish this up uh-huh. with Kyujutsu Tenkan, right? Okay. The Gracies were very ninja-like mm. and were very good at this whole Kyujutsu Tenkan. Not on purpose, but the UFC was designed by them and the rules that were put in place, okay, you couldn't gouge eyes, bite, kick groin, that kind of thing. They're <laughs> the things they couldn't defend against. Uh-huh. Okay. All, all the things to escape all that the, you could use to escape their locks and right. You can't drive can't the point of your elbow <laughs> into exposed muscles and stuff because the the submission fighter, the ground fighter, his thighs exposed when he's trying to trap your legs. And if he's not controlling your arm, you can drive your elbow into his thighs and weaken that kind of stuff. Right? You can't when he's wrapped around your waist. You could drive your elbow into into the lats and traps of his his back, neck, head, muscles, ribs, and all that kind of stuff. That would end that fight very very quickly. Guess what's against the rules? <laughs> so it's not all, you know, no holds barred. Yeah. Okay? It's Kujit's Tenkan. They have made everybody buy into a certain paradigm or certain reality. Yeah. And as, once you bought in, you're trapped by that very reality. Huh. And the people that are good are there already. So what they've done is gotten you to 
to fight by their rules. Yeah. Not the other way around, right? How would we fight a UFC person? The clip knife or the gun comes out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but we're not getting in the ring to fight if they jump us on the street. Yeah. Uh, no rules. Mm-hmm. Okay? I'm going home to my family. Yeah. Okay? All he's fighting for is a feather in his cap and bragging rights. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got much more to fight for. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, hopefully that gives you a little insight and perspective into Kyojitsu Tenkan Ho. I'm sure you've got a lot of questions, uh, as I know I do. So make sure you send those emails camp. in. Yeah, <laughs> come to camp. Uh, Warrior C at warrior-concepts-online.com is the email address to get your questions uh, to Shidoshi Miller. So make sure you do that. Uh, coming up in our next episode of Kudan, look for it. The difference between handgun training and combat handgun training. Big difference there. Also, uh, we'll talk about the Sanshin no Kata and what is the Eye of the Tiger. Some some great topics coming up on the next episode of Kudan. So make sure you look for that uh, online and sign up for the newsletters. Again, warrior-concepts-online.com is the website. And uh, we'll see you on the next episode of Kudan. Thank you for listening to Kudan. The podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. For more information on upcoming martial arts seminars, camps, and classes, call 570-988-2228. Or log on to www.warrior-concepts-online.com. That's 570-988-2228 or www.warrior-concepts-online.com.